Hey there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to our newest Farm Equipment podcast series, Our Dealer Story, which dives into farm equipment dealers and their unique stories. In today's episode, Editor-Publisher Mike Lesseter sat down with Ed Heim, the second-generation partner of Hoxie Implement Company, a three-store Case IH dealership in Kansas. Dad Jerry, now in his 80s, still comes to work every day, but the operation is led by Ed and his brothers, Mike and Pat. Dad invited us all down to his basement, and he said, you know, guys, the bank went under. I don't want to lay anybody off. We've cut expenses as much as we can, but somehow we're going to have to figure out how to fix the income side of the picture. What really came out of it is we said, maybe we have to go to the farm and inspect it. We can inspect things for free or at a really, really low price, and we'll find some things wrong, and we'll maybe talk them into spending some money. And we'll call them like a tractor. That was Ed reflecting on a basement meeting at a time right after bank closures and when farmer purchases had grinded to a halt. Together, the family arrived at one card they could play. They formulated a plan before it was common in the industry to go on the offensive with inspections to try and lure in repair business that might keep cash flowing in and staff employed. The Heim family is respected for competing at a high level right in the heart of John Deere's distribution strength. Mike and Ed sat down together while attending the WIDA International Dealer Conference. Before we begin, a nod to sponsor HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Okay, let's get things going. Here's the Our Dealer Story conversation with Ed Heim of Hoxie Implement in Kansas. I'm Ed Heim from Hoxie Implement Company in Hoxie, Kansas. We're a Case IH dealership. It's been a family-owned business since 1962. What other lines do you have besides Case IH? Um, we are a New Holland hay equipment dealership. We sell Frankie irrigation systems, sunflower tillage and grain drills, Great Plains equipment, land pride, Orthman, rhino, and woods. We probably have 20 different short lines. Yeah, got a lot of them. And you have three locations? Yeah, we have three locations. Our main store is in Hoxie. We have a location in Colby that's, we've, we've had that one for about 26 years and one in Oakley, and that one's about 16 years. Tell us what your customer base is. In Northwest Kansas, where three stores are, we have a mix of dry land and irrigated farms. Quite a bit of irrigation, you know, in the Hoxie to Colby to Oakley area. If we get east of Hoxie, there's not much irrigation, a little more rolling terrain. But um, we raise dry land wheat, um, dry land and irrigated corn. Grain sorghum, some soybeans, mostly irrigated, some sunflowers. We do have a lot of cow-calf operations, and then of course in western Kansas, there's there's a lot of feedlots, and we have uh, a large feedlot to the west of Hoxie and another large feedlot right on the edge of Oakley. So, gives us a, a little bit better market for a grain. Definitely sell some some livestock equipment too. I understand that your dad was a, had worked in a dealership before going into business with himself. Can you tell us that story? My dad's name is Gerald. Okay. He calls him Jerry. Somewhere in the, in the later part of the 50s, my dad went to work for H.W. Dean. That was the International Harvester dealership in Hoxie. And he went to work there, I believe, first as parts person. And as time went on, the bookkeeper 
quit, so he became the parts, the parts man and the bookkeeper. You know, it was a successful dealership. Eventually, H.W. Dean decided to retire, sold his business to some people who didn't have a lot of experience in the farm equipment business, maybe 1959, 1960. They didn't run the business well, eventually went broke, and the place closed. So he was without a job in that business, went to work for his brother, working on radios and TVs and washers and dryers and, and so forth. And um, anyways, the, the place grew up to weeds. Uh, they would have a sale occasionally and sell some parts to help pay the taxes. One day, while he was watching things sell, he had a gentleman that was an international harvester dealership in a neighboring town ask him why he wasn't buying any of those parts because they were selling for 10 cents on the dollar. And he finally said, well, he, he would, but he didn't have any money. So this gentleman, Wolf Hosmeyer, said, tell you what, I'll buy this dealership if you'll run it, and we'll be 50-50 partners. If we make any money, you get half the money. And, and that was in 1962. That's how my dad got started. Mm. Didn't have any capital investment in the place, but he was half older. That worked out well until 1982. And Wilf was old enough, he wanted to divest himself of his half. And so Dad bought the case and then became the sole owner of it in 1982. That wasn't necessarily <laughs> very good times in, in farming. Yeah. He made it work. We added on a new shop and completely remodeled the place in 1991. And at the same time, doing some estate planning, that became a family-owned corporation, which is my mom and dad, my two brothers, Mike and Pat, that are active in the business, and my two sisters, Karen and Sherry, who live in Hoxie and own part of the business. They're not, they're not active. Yeah, so 1982, the seller was kind of getting out at a pretty good time there. We had some run-up of, of years in the late 70s, correct? Yeah, you know, the late 70s, mid, mid to late 70s were, were good times in farming, good times in the farm equipment business. Equipment was hard to get, but you could sell what you could get. And, yeah, we did a lot of business. We got into the early 80s, um, interest rates started climbing. Farm economy wasn't very good. And of course, by the middle 80s, it was really bad. And so we learned a lot about doing business. During those times, gosh, I can remember selling equipment in 1984, 1985, and sometimes we would finance at 17.9%. That was a really good rate because the banks were 20 to 22%. But we did have, I believe it was 21 banks within 100 miles of us went under in the middle 80s, including the bank where we banked. It had new ownership. We were able to get some operating money eventually, but the times weren't very good. I can tell you, I don't know what year it was, but somewhere in those middle 80s, we had a really cold, snowy winter and things weren't selling. Our shop was uh, completely empty. People wouldn't bring anything in to get it worked on. And we, uh, we washed the windows, we painted the walls, we painted the bathrooms, we painted the floors. We did everything we could to stay busy. We tried to save on expenses as best we could. Of course, we, we didn't buy any vehicles or anything. We drove with the tires bald and, and whatever we needed to do. 
we, we started closing at noon on Saturdays, which we never did. The boys opened till five. We closed at five o'clock in the evening instead of six o'clock. But we finally, I can remember one, one evening, and there weren't very many of us with there at the time, but one evening, Dad invited us all down to his basement, and he said, you know, guys, the bank went under. Times aren't very good. I don't want to lay anybody off. We've cut expenses as much as we can, but somehow we're going to have to figure out how to, how to fix the income side of the picture and uh, looking for some ideas. Well, everybody had some discussion and what really came out of it is we said, you know, maybe if we can get people to bring in a piece of equipment or maybe we have to go to their farm and inspect it, we can, we can inspect things for free or, or at a really, really low price and we'll find some things wrong and then we'll maybe talk them into spending some money on their combine or tractor or whatever. So we formulated a plan where our service manager at the time, every morning between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, he was required to call five customers mm -hmm. and ask them if they had anything that, that we could work on. And we had a couple of parts people at that time. Each day, one of them would go to the country a different direction from town, stop by and see customers and, and suggest that maybe they needed some new disc blades on their disc or maybe needed to fix something on their planter. Maybe we could sell them some, some oil or filters or whatever. We just we got on the offensive and it was still tough the first year, but that winter service program grew from there. Now it's, it's common for us to have very full shop in our service departments each year yeah. during the winters work well. Do you think you were one of the earlier ones to grasp onto that, that inspection and winter service program? Definitely in our area we were. Nobody else was doing that for starters. But back then it was out of necessity. We just flat didn't have any source of income. <laughs> The rest of the part in the 80s was interest was 20% or higher. A lot of our equipment sales were financed on notes that were recourse to us. And so if the customer had any equity in the equipment, the bank would figure out how to get him some money to make his payments. If he didn't have any equity in it, they let it get repossessed, which came back to us. So really hard times. Mm -hmm. We learned a lot about doing business. Haven't forgotten it. Sometimes we get a little bit sloppy, but uh, it was a good learning experience. Yeah. Yes. Your story when you were talking about washing the windows and painting, my parents founded their company in 81. In farm construction was one of the markets they were in. And I remember seeing a young man, 25 or so, at home mowing our lawn. And I asked my dad about it. He said, I, I would needed to give him something to do to earn some money. It was definitely uh, survival of the fittest on the farm and in dealerships. We lost a lot of dealerships in those days. feel fortunate to still be in this business. Right. You joined about the same time that all this was, was happening, within a year or two of your dad buying it, right? I, I grew up in the business um, from a young age along with my two brothers. We. We worked after schools and on weekends and during the summer. Um, but I did go to college uh, from 78 to 82. Got an engineering degree, but wasn't interested in working in the city. I moved 
back home, actually got married that same year. That was the same year that dad bought out his business partner. Again, he, he just said, happy to have you, just can't pay you very much. <laughs> back then, uh, at a young age, you don't have a lot of fear. I didn't, I didn't have any money, <laughs> but uh, I didn't ask what I was going to be paid. I think I was making, I think I, I think I made five dollars an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Starting engineering salary at that time was twenty-six to thirty thousand dollars a year. The first full year that I worked there, my gross wages was right at ten thousand yeah. dollars. But my wife worked at the clothing store in town. She made money. We could pay rent and utilities, put $100 a month in the bank. You know, we just didn't go places and didn't buy many things. Times were tough, but it was, it was okay. Did you know you were going to be coming back to the implement dealership? Or? You know, that's, that's, that's really the only, the only thing I knew. I mean, I had some part-time jobs in college. That's the business I knew. Mm-hmm. As I was approaching graduation and doing job interviews, I wasn't interested in, in living anywhere in the city, and I liked Western Kansas. And my wife was from that area, so we, we had family, and it just seemed like the thing to do. We didn't give it a lot of thought, it just came naturally. A quick break in the action to invite you to our annual Dealership Mind Summit. Check out this unique management event for farm equipment dealers only at www.dealershipmindssummit.com. It's a quick hit, two-day mastermind style summit that connects you to your peers of all colors. Come participate and learn from the very best minds in the ag machinery dealer world, all seeking solutions to your same challenges. www.dealershipmindssummit.com. I guess some people who, who might have gone somewhere else at that time, if they were able to keep their job, your career path may have been very different if you'd gone somewhere for even a year or two. I'm confident it had I took a job somewhere else, I probably would have never came back. Mm-hmm. It's probably different today. Um, younger people don't mind changing jobs regularly or, or changing the town they live in. But in my days, um, generally you wanted job security and you, and you wanted a place to live that you were comfortable with. I guess that's, that's how I ended up there. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest of my family, my older brother Mike was two years older than me. He went to college and got a business degree, business finance degree. Um, he moved back and started working full time there, you know, a couple years before I did. My younger brother, Pat, um, he's four years younger than me. He went to college. He, uh, his wife was two years younger than him, and so while she was finishing school, he actually worked for Jim Meinhart in Wamego mm. in the parts department for a couple of years, okay. and then came back to our business. So that's that's how we all ended up there. Yeah, some pretty lean times. Some real good lessons learned during that. Time. Those were your formative years as in the dealership was when things were really at the trough, right? I imagine that you can see some good in, in what, what you were taught during that chapter. It's probably the best thing that happened to us. Myself and my brothers, we grew up working hard. You learned not to stand still or waste time. But when it got down to where you could see that that effect at the bottom line, you really stepped in and did whatever needed done to 
take care of a customer or take care of the business, uh, it's probably the best time to have that learning experience. Mm. Still wasn't a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best teacher, I guess, we could have had. Mm-hmm. Was there ever any question whether you were going to make it through or not? Well, yeah. When our bank closed, the new ownership that stepped in really studied our financial position hard. I don't guess we really had any equity in the business, but we're very willing to, to be helpful if they could see that somebody wanted to work hard. Hmm. So it was nip and tuck. Thankfully, it worked out. So um, your two brothers are in the business, and they have some children in the business, correct? Tell us about that. So my brother, my older brother Mike, takes care of a lot of our technology items, computers, between the three stores. We don't, we don't hire an outside firm to do any computer work. But he's also um, the last guy in line in our precision farming department. So... Very technology-oriented. My brother Pat's always been involved in parts and does a great job overseeing the parts area for all three stores. Mike has two boys that are now full-time in the business. His oldest, Josh, went to technical school in diesel mechanics, and he's been full-time in the shop now for a couple years. His younger son, Jake, went to technical college in precision farming, and so he's full-time in that department. Those boys both grew up in the business, same as we did, working there from a young age, doing whatever needed done. And so they do a great job, and I see their roles growing in the service end of it at this time. Mm-hmm. Between myself, my younger brother Pat, and my two sisters, we don't have any children that are, are active in the business, aside from my son Andrew, he lives in Kansas City. He's a computer science major. He does help us with our computer systems, digital marketing. What are your um, your earliest memories of working in the, in the dealership as a kid? You know, I, I really probably started working there when I was about six. Dad was busy and so he would he would send Mike and I back to the shop, and he would tell he would tell the service guys to, to keep us busy. And so we swept the floor, we picked up trash. Didn't take very long. We were helping set machinery up, and uh, we became a, a Yamaha motorcycle dealer in 1969. So I would have been nine years old. So back then, every farmer needed a small motorcycle to check his cows. Didn't have three wheelers and four wheelers. So every day after school, we would put motorcycles together and a good share of the summer if we weren't setting up farm equipment or washing something. Yeah. Uh, fond memories, gosh, you know, always got along with the rest of the guys at the shop. And uh, they, they'd pull a few jokes and say, might, might stick you in the box of a grain drill and shut the lid. <laughs> yeah. Put you inside of a stack of tires that they were mounting or something. Mm hmm. An appropriate level of hazing for the boss's yes. sons, right? And, and it was it was good. You know, times were different back then. When I was uh, when I was fourteen, we drove everything on the place. We we drove trucks. We hauled tractors. We did everything. You know, at a young age. Back then, um, some things maybe weren't one hundred percent legal, but we had a job to do. We also had, you know, in my high school days, um, we had part time help after school and in the summer, um, farm kids. 
they knew how to they knew how to run a tractor or combine or drive a truck. They fit right in. There were big families back then, so maybe you know, mom and dad didn't need that much help on the farm. So one or two of the boys would come to work at our place, mm. and it really worked out well. We grew up doing whatever needed done, worked however long we needed to work to, to make sure that something was assembled or delivered or fixed for a customer. And again, you learn not to stand still. You, you never you never watched while somebody else put something together. You always had a hold of it. Or you get chewed out. Mm-hmm. That's just how we grew up. Yeah. How are you and your brothers different than your father in the way that you approach the business? You know, that's a good question. Dad, you know, from the time he got involved in the dealership, was willing to do whatever he had done. He, he would, you know, maybe be there at 5 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out what parts we ought to order until we, until we had a good parts manager. Or he would be helping set up and delivery, deliver equipment and show people how to run it. Then maybe he'd have to stay at night late to, to do his book work. We kind of grew up the same way, although we were we were doers. I wasn't involved in the financial end of it too much. You know, I was in, in service and then in parts and then eventually in sales. Yes, I'm involved in some numbers today, but for a long time I, I wasn't. My brothers, Mike and Pat, both had business degrees. Um, Mike worked in the office in the middle of bookkeeping and so forth for several years until the technology started growing and he ended up being more involved there. And so we just kind of all had our area of expertise. In recent years, we've had to learn a little more of the business side of it, financial side of it. Mm-hmm. I think we all still have the same goal, and that is to make sure the customer gets taken care of. Sure makes it a lot easier to sell some. So I don't know that we're a lot different than our dad, although we, we didn't grow up being the boss. Dad still comes in to work? Dad's 83 years old. He's very short. Still comes in to work every day. Most of everything that he used to do has graduated to one of our desks. And so he's not on the front line with customers, uh, problems, or employees, hiring, firing, whatever. He's just, he's there to, to look over things, um, give some good advice. I guarantee you he can tell you how many dollars you're in the bank probably every day. Mm-hmm. He likes, he's a good numbers person. Um, but yeah, he comes in and enjoys what he's doing. Yeah, good. We'll get back to the Hoxie Implement story in a minute, but first a word of thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. Now back to the story of Hoxie Implement. Next up is an interesting way of examining change. Had Rip Van Winkle dozed off in rural Kansas when Ed started and woke up today. You know the Rip Van Winkle story, right? with the man who fell asleep and woke up years later. Take us back on your view of farming in 1982 when you came full-time into the dealership. And imagine Rip Van Winkle seeing agriculture in northwest Kansas in 82 and waking up in 2018. What's different about it today? How How would you answer that question? You know, we had a lot more farmers back when I started full-time, and they weren't nearly as big, but we tilled our ground back then. Today, it's a good share of it is no-till. We sprayed 
we were very little back then, and a few farmers had a, a pull-type sprayer, but otherwise they hired a commercial place to come and spray it. Again, we didn't spray a lot. Um, equipment was small. Six row was very common. Eight row was was the bigger farmers. Today, we have a lot of no-till. Most farmers that have much size at all have their own sprayer. They're running a 16 or 24 row planter. They're running one big combine or maybe even two bigger combines. Not everybody, but the the bigger customers are that way. We have some of our smaller, older customers who have gotten to the point where they hire they hire some of their harvesting done or maybe even hire their planting done because they don't have as much modern equipment, I guess, or they can't come up with enough help. Back in, in 1982, families were bigger. For sure, when it was harvest time, um, you know, maybe the, the wives or the younger generation drove the trucks that were small, 300 bushel farm trucks. Today, everybody, for the most part, runs a semi and a grain trailer. It's just harder to find help to do harvesting. And, and again, with, with some of the no-till planting and, and wanting to get it done in a hurry, some guys will hire all or some of that done. That said, we still have some, some smaller, medium-sized farmers that are profitable necessarily have to have the biggest equipment in the world but it's it's changing pretty fast mm -hmm. as, as customers retire or pass away a lot of times they don't have a family member to take the farm over so the family either sells that or, or rents it to one of our progressive farmers that we have so we have farmers that are that are getting bigger there's a few where those the owner is maybe the farm manager or hires a farm manager and has several employees and doesn't doesn't actually drive the equipment. But for the most part, I'd say, you know, ninety-five percent of what we sell gets operated by the customer that bought it, or or maybe a hired man or son or, or close relative. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's changed. Um, technology wise, oh gosh. First off the size of the equipment if 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 a farmer from 30 or 35 years ago could ride in one of the combines today, and you see it harvesting 5,000 bushels an hour of corn or more, they just wouldn't believe it would be possible um, to have, you know, in 1982, there were a few farmers that had really straight rows. They, they, they knew how to use their markers and, and look ahead and drive straight. But most rows were a little crooked and guest rows were wide or narrow. In harvesting, you didn't have any trouble picking out a guess from. Mm -hmm. Today, 90, let's say 99% of everything is, is planted with auto steer. Our sprayers have auto steer and auto boom height and, and section control and rate controllers. The combines, of course, have yield monitors and automatic header height and, and so forth. There's just a, a lot more technology. Mm -hmm. So, from a dealership perspective, it, it's a little more demanding on the service side. If a person's auto steer quits working, for example, during planting time, doesn't have markers on his planter anymore. So he physically can't plant. You know, in the old days, if you broke your marker, you, you welded it back on and away you went. But anyways, a lot more technology takes a lot more um, 
training and a lot more young people in service so that they can take care of technology problems. And to be honest with you, um, probably more than half of our calls to the service department or the sales department uh, during busy times or, or somebody that doesn't actually have a, an electrical or mechanical problem, they can't figure out how to run with that. Don't remember from last year. Or some screen changed and they don't know how to get back to where they started. And so it just takes more support. People don't uh, fix a lot of things themselves anymore. It's complicated some of them. Some of them uh, don't have time. Some of them have mechanical ability. And of course the diagnostic tools are there's something that the average farmer might not have. So things have changed a lot. Mm -hmm since I started there full time. So we just talked about farming practice and some of the equipment and technology. What's different about running a dealership today versus 1982 when you jumped in? Uh, well, number one, it takes a lot more money. You know, we handle an awful lot of money. We, we always hope we can get a little bit of mm. it to stop. <laughs> so it takes more, more working capital. There's also a lot more requirements from or manufacturers, if you're going to get um, reimbursed well on your warranty, you need to be certified in all the aspects of service. And the manufacturers, of course, look at market share a lot more than they used to. There's less, probably less physical visits from any anybody from the manufacturer, uh, even though there's more requirements. But there's a lot of things, of course, done online. Um, it's just a much more complicated world to, to run a dealership today, to meet everything the manufacturer expects you to do, and to be able to take care of the farmers with, with more technology. Mm -hmm. So those are two things. Another thing is we have a lot smaller group of, of workforce to choose from. We have some part-time people too. But anyways, um, 70 full-time. Half of those work in our Hoxie store. Hoxie is a town of 1,200 people. Our whole county, I think, only has about 2,500 people in it. And so when you want to hire somebody, you know, there's not a, a big group of people to choose from. We have hired a few people from out of the area and that are great employees. But uh, for the most part, it's difficult to get people to move to Western Kansas from very far away because we don't have a lot of population. So it's a wonderful place to live and raise a family. We're just a small rural mm -hmm. area. So if you didn't grow up in an area like that, sometimes it doesn't seem to fit. But anyways, we, we have a great group of employees. We've been able to grow our service department by catching young people coming out of high school, paying for their schooling in you know, diesel technology and uh, have them come to work for us. And they, they do a good job, they get paid very well, and we don't have a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, I put an ad in for a service technician in our local paper and six area papers in small towns around us. And uh, after 30 days, I had two applicants. Mm -hmm. One who had no mechanical ability, and the one who didn't have a very good previous track record. So 
it's not like you, you advertise and you get 100 people to choose from. Right. We're, we're fortunate today to have a great, great group of people. It's just not as easy to hire as it used to be. Yeah. Really need a different skill set to be a, a dealer in 2018 than you did in 82? Yeah, I would say for sure. 1982, there were still quite a few small dealerships that, you know, were opened by maybe somebody that used to be a farmer or, or didn't have a lot of dealership experience, but they could they could buy and sell a little equipment and, and fix things if, if they had any mechanical ability. There wasn't a lot of technology and not a lot of requirements from the manufacturer. So, yeah, it's changed a lot. take a quick break here to share another important project in the farm equipment industry. It's time now to celebrate our industry at its best. We're soliciting nominations right now for Farm Equipment's annual Dealership of the Year program. This yearly program recognizes both large multi-store and small store ag equipment dealers that are leading the way in best practices, operations management, and customer care. Nominate an industry best dealership today at www.farm-equipment.com doy or email me at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. And now back to our interview. If we're at the Western Equipment Dealers Association Conference, and let's say next year they ask you to come in here and, and make a presentation to some, maybe the younger folks who didn't understand what the 80s were. And if you had to give a, a PowerPoint on these were the three to five biggest lessons I learned in the 80s that have never left my body. What would come to mind in an outline like that? Well, n number one, it really isn't any different today, but the customer still has to be well taken care of. So we, we learned how very important that was in the 80s, but I don't think that's any different today. But um, we learned to watch expenses closely and we learn to be offensive on the income side. You have to have income producing things. You have to sell parts or servers or equipment and, and make a margin at it. You know, there's a lot of technology today that young people really like, and we, we do sell a lot of technology, but sometimes remind the young people that if we can't sell it and make some money at it, or if it doesn't, if it doesn't contribute to the sale of something that we can make money in, then we might not want to do that. Mm -hmm. So anyways, you have to watch expenses. You have to you have to work on the income side part. You did learn uh, to take care of customers, but also to, to take care of our employees. It's still very important. I want them to have good job security. I want them to get, get paid well. I want them to be able to have a nice place to live something nice to drive and some money left over to, to spend when they have time off. So that requires some money management on their end, but, but that's my goal. Anyways, in, the, in 1982, when times were tough, uh, it was just a survival mode, but we sure wanted to do our best to make sure employees were taken care of. What's the thing that keeps you up at night the most? that causes insomnia. I think moving forward, there's so much uncertainty in our farm economy and it takes so much capital 
to stock inventory like we're used to stocking. But uh, it definitely makes me wonder. But the other half of the equation is uh, I always want to have the right mix of talented people to take care of what we do, to take care of our customers, take care of what we sell. And we have some very key people that are very important. If one of them left us or, or died tomorrow, we wouldn't be out of business. But some people are hard to replace. And so, yeah, I would say probably that's the number one thing that would keep me up at night is, is, is always wondering if we're, if we're going to have enough of the right people or if something's going to happen that will change that picture. Mm -hmm. What can you do to make that insomnia go away? What actions can you take to move your yourself forward on that one? First off, I, I don't lose a lot of sleep at night because I'm tired when I go. <laughs> but uh, moving forward, I think we need to have a renewed focus on, on the workforce and how we how we work with younger people and, and how we give them maybe more opportunities to be involved in decision making with the business. But I think that will that will help us just to have a good, steady workforce. The farm economy and money end of it, you know, we, we did learn in the 80s that uh, you better put something away for a rainy day because it might not always be good. And we've been fortunate to be in that position. I guess as long as uh, as long as we can remain profitable and have some reserve, I guess if it would be okay. <laughs> you know, as far as our farmers, there's getting to be less of them. Some of them are less loyal than they used to be. The internet's a great place for us to, to, to help sell our equipment, but it's also a great place for farmers to find something somewhere else. And so some of our customers will shop a long ways from home, and there's definitely some bargains out there. I don't know if that keeps me up at night, but that, that issue is probably going to continue to get worse. If we don't have it on the lot, I'm happy to give them advice and, and help them buy what they need. But if we've got the same thing, sometimes it affects our profit margin on what we're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, going forward, I think if we, again, can keep a good motivated workforce, continue to pay attention to how we run the business, and keep a little working capital around, we shouldn't, shouldn't have to stay up at night too mm -hmm. much. So you're about 58 or so? That's correct. So. Next question. So, when, when, whenever that day comes, and if you work as long as your dad does, and someday they'll, they clear out the shop and they have a party and you, you get the watch and the celebration, and uh, someone asks you to talk about how this was a satisfying career for you, way of life for you, what, what would be some of the things that you would mention in that speech? You know, it's been... Um challenging at times, but I guess the satisfying part of it is, um, number one, it's, it's paid me a good living so I could take care of my family. Number two, I've watched a lot of people, a lot of employees grow in the business and become very talented individuals, take care of their family and, and grow what they owned. You know, third, I guess, I enjoyed probably 
more than anything, helping customers and, and watching their operations grow and, and get better. And in, in, in a lot of cases, family operations where I dealt with their dad who maybe is no longer among us and, and dealing with somebody my age, then maybe I'm dealing with his son as it gets him started in farming. I, I think some of the most rewarding things is watching some of their customers' operations grow and develop. No, that's, that's, that's very rewarding. Hmm. I guess I can look back and, and remember a thousand times when, when somebody in our place put forth a lot of extra effort after hours, on weekends, whatever, to take care of a customer that really needed it. And that's, that's probably as satisfying as anything out there, too. Mm -hmm. So, Adam, I haven't been rehearsing a speech for that yet, <laughs> but I think I could, I could sure share some some things about the good times and, and the help that I got getting our business to where it's at today. Mm -hmm. What are some things that between now and then that you want to accomplish in this business still? You know, um, some dealerships want to have a lot more locations. I never rule that out. It's not, not that hard to get more locations sometimes, but you have to have facilities and you have to have people. Today, uh, what I'd like to accomplish is to continue to improve what we have. We do a good job in sales and parts and service, but we still have some areas to improve. I just want to try to get it to where it, it works a little more smoothly at times without it being a hardship on, on the employees keep in a good financial position. I just want to continue to improve what we have. I had a customer of mine who's a couple years older than me, um, very good farmer. He's not a great big farmer, but he had a conversation with me probably five years ago about his operation. He said, you know, my neighbors keep getting bigger and bigger. And he said, sometimes uh, as they get bigger, they don't do as good a job as they used to do. He said, right now, I'm not interested in getting bigger. I just want to I want to try to perfect what I currently have. I want to make my irrigation work better. I want to do a little better job of growing this or harvesting that. That's my goal. And I, I thought of that, and that's really, that's really where I'm at with the dealerships that we have today, is I just like to perfect them a little better in the next few years, see if we can make things just a little smoother, a little better than they currently are. Again, there's a lot of a lot of hard work and a lot of challenging times and maybe we're in for some really challenging times ahead here. Thanks to Ed for sharing the story of Hoxie Implement Company with all of us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the new series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you'll be alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Special thanks to Joe Kinsley of our multimedia department for putting this together. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out on Our Dealer Stories.